Uh, this morning, we want to jump right back into James. Uh, this Sunday, we are in James chapter number five, and we're going to be looking at verses one through six. James chapter number five, verses one through six. And the scriptures declare, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept uh, back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Uh, just for a few moments, I want to share from the subject title, The Lifestyle of the Rich and Unfaithful. The Lifestyle of the Rich and Unfaithful. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for uh, the precious opportunities that you give us to open up your word. God, it is a blessing to be here. God, I'm thankful for your faithfulness in 2018. I'm thankful for, God, how you brought us to this new location. Even looking out in the audience, God, how you brought us new faces. God, even bringing us, God, some old faces this morning. God, thank you for our family. And I pray, God, that as we corporately hear from you, God, I pray that you would speak clearly to the family. God, that we would address an issue and a topic that is prevalent, not just in our culture, but also in our church. God, help us to fight against the attitude and the mindset of greed and greediness. God, help us to see exactly how you are calling us to be good stewards of everything that you've entrusted to us. God, we do know that your word tells us that your blessings make us rich. God, but help us to be faithful over the riches that you've given us. We love you, Father, and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, growing up, I can remember watching a TV show by the name of uh, The Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Uh, can anybody remember who, the, who, was the, who was the host of the show? Robin Leach. You watch the show. I love it. The show was a, a, a modern-day opportunity for you to go into the lives of people who were famous. The show began its intro with the words, Discover how life's winners live, love, and spend their fortunes. Now, on one level, while the show was certainly entertaining and the show was certainly interesting, in my humble opinion, the show did more harm than good because the show essentially defined people's success in life by what they could buy. The show invited us to define people by what they drove, by where they lived, by how they vacationed, and in doing so, the show served as an invitation for us who watched the show to define ourselves by the same exact standards. We live in a day and time where we are constantly are tempted by the seduction and the, the delusion that you are what you can buy, with the delusion that you are what you wear. 
that you are what you drive, where you live. And my brothers and my sisters, this morning, we want to begin the year by reminding ourselves that our identity must be found in Christ. We must not fight or we must not yield to the temptation of Satan to be trapped by that lie. Rather than focusing on what we buy or what we do or where we live or what we drive, I believe the scriptures constantly remind us that our identity must be found in Christ. We always got to remind ourselves who we are in Jesus. It's a, it's a concept that we must go back to because it is a concept that causes us to remember where our true identity is found. So today you must ask yourself the question, where do I find my identity? Uh, is my identity in my job title? Because if it's in my job title, what happens when you lose the job? Uh, is my identity in my house? Because if I find my identity in my house, what happens when I have to move from the house? Even for kids, if my identity is in my children, then what happens when my kids are gone? As believers, we must fight we must strain, we must resist the urge to find our identity in any place other than Christ. Because keeping our identity in Christ, and keeping our identity in Christ, we are making sure that our purpose does not change, that our motivation does not change, that our values do not change, that our commitment does not change. In life, change is absolutely inevitable. But regardless of the external changes of life, the internal change that takes place when Christ enters my life is hands down the most important change that can ever happen in my life. So that's what we need to look at this morning. We need to look at where do we place our identity, and it needs to be in Christ. Over the past few months, we have been walking through the book of James, and since uh, we have been gone for a while, I think it's important for us to be refreshed uh, concerning what we've seen thus far. I love the book of James because it gives us some practical uh, examples of how we should be able to identify those in our body who are mature. Um, it's amazing to me that just as parents have concluded that our, our biological children should grow, so has our Heavenly Father concluded that you and I should grow. A parent who has a child that is not growing would see that as an issue and a problem. And the same thing is true with the gospel. When we are living our life in such a way where we are not growing in our faith, that is a significant problem. Our attitude and our mindset should be, Lord, help me to grow closer to you in 2019 than I was in 2018. And our prayer in 2020 should be, Lord, let me grow closer to you in 2020 than I was in 2019. And by God's grace, we can grow closer because that is God's will and that is God's desire for us. The, the book of James opens up in chapter number one by simply telling us that, um, that we can know uh, whether or not a person is mature by whether or not they're able to handle the trials and temptations in their life. The scripture tells us uh, in chapter number one very clearly that we should count it all joy when we face various trials and temptations. Why? Because those trials and those temptations help us grow in our faith. The passage also tells us that maturity is seen in how we uh, use our tongue. Uh, it's a reminder that what comes out of your mouth is an indicator of what is in your heart. So we need to understand that, that how you speak is an indicator of how mature you really are. also tells us in the passage that we can know maturity based upon uh, how we treat the less fortunate. 
when we are in a position where we do not care for those who are the least and the last, it is a response, it is a reminder that we are really not mature. We also know maturity based upon how we make decisions. Do we go to worldly wisdom or godly wisdom? This is another reminder of maturity. And then in chapter number five, we see specifically that James is telling us that how you handle your resources, how you handle your money is an indicator of whether or not you have found maturity in Christ. In the first six verses of the chapter, we see three significant points that, that I believe need to be brought to our attention this morning. Number one, we see the concept of greediness. Number two, we see the cost of greediness. And number three, we see the cure to greediness. First, let's consider the concept of greediness. Go back with me to verse number one. In verse number one, we see, come now, it says, come now, you rich, weep and how for the miseries that are coming upon you. We need to be clear that James is not communicating that it is a sin to be rich. Bob, you should feel okay now. It's okay that you're rich. (laughs) The text is telling us very clearly it is okay for you to have wealth. It is okay for you to have money. It is okay for you to have resources. For you to have those things is 100% okay. When we look at the Bible, there are tons of examples of wealthy people in the scriptures. Abraham was a wealthy man who walked with God. He was a wealthy man who was able to bless the world because of his faith. So rather than focusing on riches, James is calling our attention to the issue of selfishness and greediness used to acquire wealth. The text calls for weeping and howling because of the greedy means and motivation to acquire the wealth that the people had. How how do we see greed as a means and motivation for the accumulation of wealth? If you go to verse number four, it tells us very clearly that there were people who withheld wages from people who deserved to get paid because they were greedy. In verse number five, it tells us that the people were living in luxury and self-indulgence because they were greedy. Now, some might be asking the question, Pastor, what does it mean to be greedy? Well, greed is an improper focus on money. When the Bible speaks about money, the focus is not uh, on how much money you have. The focus is not on how many pairs of shoes you have, uh, not how many designer purses you have or how many cars you have in your driveway. Uh, when, when the Bible speaks about money, it's not about how much money is in your 401k or what tax bracket you find yourself in. There are great men and women of God who were extremely wealthy. Abraham, Job, Barnabas, Lydia. Uh, one of my favorite scriptures um, that of all time is Proverbs 10.22 that literally says, the blessings of the Lord makes us rich and he adds no sorrow to it. If y'all want to pray for me, pray, pray Proverbs 20, 10, 22 of my life. <laughs> the concern of the scriptures is not how much money you have. The concern of the scriptures is does your money have you? Does your money consume you? Does your money control you? Does your money hold you hostage? Anytime you are being held hostage, that means you are under the authority and control or influence of someone or something else. So the question that we must ask ourselves this morning is, when it comes to money, 
Who's in control? Are you in control of your money or is your money in control of you? Do you have nice things or do nice things have you? Is your life consumed with pursuing the blessing or have you come to a place in your life where you are more committed to pursuing the blessor? If you have the wrong attitude concerning money, it really doesn't matter how much money you have. The concern of the text is the reality that we live in a life, we live in a time, we live in a culture that it is easy for us as believers, as as born-again Christians, to take gold and turn it into God, to take the things that God has blessed us with and turn those things into an idol. The text is challenging us that it is easy to celebrate and focus on the things that we get from God rather than focusing on God. Uh, we should all understand this principle. Anybody who has little kids should be able to understand this. Uh, many folks, under the sound of my voice, uh, you told a lie about a week and a half ago about Santa. Uh, you told your kids that Santa was going to bring some gifts, and you know you probably had to work a little extra. You had to do a little more than you should be doing so that you can get them kids some gifts, right? And on Christmas morning, they opened up the gifts, and they didn't even thank the person who paid for the gifts because they were praising Santa. Shame on you for that, right? <laughs> same, same thing happens when, we, uh, when, we, when we're usually hungry. I know this is sexist, but usually my wife, she cooks a great meal. She's a great cook. If you haven't had her meals, you have not been blessed by a great cook. <laughs> She's a phenomenal cook. And I can see her in the kitchen cracking eggs and and, and, and whipping uh, the, the, the sauce together, and she's doing all these things. She's putting the food together, and she's putting her personal touch on it. And we get to the table, and a lot of times we don't even say thank you. We just start eating because our appetite for what is on the plate causes us to lose sight of the person who put the plate together. Like that, that's true for, for a lot of us in our Christian life. That's true for a lot of us because uh, a lot of us have, have missed the reality that God is the giver of the gifts, that God is the one who blesses us, that God is the one who provides for us. The problem, um, and once again, there's no problem with having the gift. The Bible tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. But here's the problem. The problem comes in when we look to gold to do what only God can do. When we look for the gift to do something for us that only the giver of the gift can do for us. When we look under the tree for only what God can do. And if you're here this morning, you're thinking, okay, pastor, I get it. But bruh, this is not that deep. This is not that significant. Like if I'm a little greedy, I'm not killing anybody. I'm not raping anybody. I'm not, I'm not being racist. I'm not doing anything really, really bad. I just have some financial goals. I have some, I work really hard and I want to acquire some things and I feel like I deserve to live my best life. That's your your mindset. I want to take you to 1 Corinthians 6, 9. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 simply says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral or the idolaters, or the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, praise God. 
where you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Catch this. If you think that being greedy is no big deal, I want to remind you that it's a big deal to God. In the passage, uh, you don't have God saying, uh, let me list all the really, really bad sins, and then I want to just kind of gloss over the acceptable sins in our life. God doesn't say, I know you're trying to live your best life. I know you're not trying to go back and forth with anybody. So if you are greedy, no biggie. It's no problem. That's not what the text is saying. The issue of greed is listed right alongside of idolatry. The issue of greed is listed right alongside adultery. The the issue of greed is listed right alongside drunkenness and stealing. And side note, it's very easy for us if you have a sin that's not listed in this particular category to think that, well, praise God, I don't deal with any of those issues. When in reality, all sin is rebellion to God. So any sin in our life is a significant issue to our life. To be greedy means that you have an attitude that is wrong. To be greedy says that you are living in rebellion, the same rebellion as a thief or adulterer or a drunkard. As I was preparing the sermon this week, I came across a, some great thoughts concerning uh, the test of greed. It says, if you want to know if you are greedy, ask yourself the question, are you content until you get more? Today, if you are living in an apartment, it's okay to desire a house. If you, have, if you are living in a house, it's okay to desire a bigger house. If you are riding in a car, it's okay to desire a better car or a bigger car or a nicer car. If you have a job, it's okay to desire a better job. But the question is, the question that we must ask ourselves is, while you are waiting for better or bigger, are you at a place of peace? While you're waiting for better or bigger, personally, are you at a place of peace? I want you to know there's nothing wrong with you desiring bigger and greater for your life. If I'm honest, I want bigger and greater for myself. But the truth is, if you are not at peace with where God has you right now, then you will not be at peace when you arrive at the place where you want God to take you. How do I know that to be true? I know it to be true because if you have not learned how to get peace from God... You won't get peace from getting God's stuff. You've got to get peace from the only place peace is found, and that place is God. The problem that is present in many of our lives is far too many of us have fallen for the trap in thinking or looking for money to buy or to provide what only God can provide in our lives. Some of our kids had a toy or a video game that they wanted for several months, and for Christmas you were being begged for the gift. Grandparents were being begged for the gift. Some of our kids even uh, wrote a letter to Santa for the gift. And on Christmas, they got the gift, and they were excited about the gift, and they were fired up about the gift. But I guarantee you that the excitement that they had on the 25th is not present on January 4th. They were really excited on the 25th when when they tore open that box, when they got what they wanted. But over time, that wears away very quickly. Many of us have prayed for that promotion. We prayed. God gave us that promotion. We thought the minute we got that promotion, everything was going to be good. 
But I bet it's a lot of y'all who are dreading going to work tomorrow. <laughs> Some of y'all jokers been off for two weeks. You thinking about calling in tomorrow. I can see it. You wanted that car. You prayed for that car. You wanted that car so bad, and you got the car. But then they changed the body style on the car, and now you want the newer version of the car. You got the house you wanted. You prayed about that house. You walked around it seven times because you wanted the house. (laughs) And then you got the house, and over time, the house is no longer providing what you thought it would provide. One preacher says it this way, and I love it. He says, when you have to choose between gold and God, you got to ask yourself who wins. When you have to make a decision between coming to church or working extra, who wins? When you have to make a decision between spending time in the Word or spending time with the TV show, who wins? Between spending time in God's Word or double-clicking on Instagram or snapping, who wins? When you are presented with an opportunity to share the gospel or share some tea, who wins? So whether or not we, we know it, the issue of greediness is an issue that is not just prevalent with our pockets. It is an issue that is prevalent in every aspect of our lives. So first, we see the concept of greediness. But secondly, we see the cost of greediness. Verse 2 says, your riches have rotted and your, 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 riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasures in the last days. Uh, there's, a, there's a true story, but a sad story that comes from the life of Bertha Adams. Uh, Bertha was uh, a woman who passed away um, at 71 years old. She died living in West Palm Beach, Florida, and she actually died on Easter Sunday, 1976. The coroner's report read that her cause of death was malnutrition. Uh, After wasting away uh, all the way down to 50 pounds, when the state authorities made their uh, investigation, they said her place was an absolute mess. Uh, One season uh, inspector declared that he had never seen a dwelling in more disarray than hers. In her latter years, Bertha was known for receiving uh, food from neighbors, and she received all all of her clothing from the Salvation Army. From all appearances, she was penniless and she was a recluse, a pitiful, forgotten widow. But that was not really the truth. Amid all of her uncleanliness, they found two keys that they found out were connected to two different safety uh, deposit boxes at two different banks. The first box contained over 700 AT&T stock certificates, plus hundreds of other certificates and bonds and $200,000 in cash. The second box had no certificates, but it had $600,000 in cash. When you add up the value of both boxes, the woman died as a multi-millionaire in her possession. Bertha Adams' hoarding was was a tragic and unfortunate reminder that we can live our lives trying to accumulate wealth and trying to hold on to wealth, and we end up losing our life by pursuing it. When we consider her life, it really is a reminder of what verses 2 and 3 are discussing. Once again, the Bible does not discourage the acquiring of wealth. In the law of Moses, in the Old Testament, specific rules were laid down as to how you are to acquire wealth, and I think we can place those principles uh, into practice today. In several of the parables of Jesus, matter of fact, the majority of the parables of Christ address the, the, the issue of money. 
Uh, there is nothing in the epistles that contradicts the right to have money or to acquire money. But here's what the Bible condemns. What the Bible condemns is the acquiring of wealth by illegal means or for illegitimate purposes. We've got to ask ourselves, the, the money that I desire, how am I acquiring it? And secondly, how am I desiring to use it? When you look at the Old Testament, there are two prophets that, dis, that directly spoke to the issue of greed, Isaiah and Jeremiah. And it is in the same spirit that James is writing the text today. Once again, the issue is not money. The issue is our attitude concerning money. It has been said that money can buy you a bed, but it cannot guarantee you rest. Money can buy you books, but it cannot give you wisdom. Money can buy you food, but it cannot give you an appetite. Can buy you a house, but cannot make it a home. Can buy you medicine, but cannot guarantee you health. Can give you companions, but not friends. Can provide flattery, but not respect. And as your pastor, I love you too much, and I want you to hear me clearly. If we don't have the right attitude concerning our money, it will cost us something. If you go back to the text, you look at the rich and ruler. If you look at the rich man and Lazarus, they placed gold over God and they lost their life. So first, we see the concept of greediness. Secondly, we see the cost of greediness. And lastly, we see the cure to greediness. The cure to greediness. Verse um, 5 says very clearly, if you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence, you have fatted your hearts in the day of slaughter. The cure to greed is the opposite of hoarding, and that is saving for God's kingdom. Saving so that you can honor God rather than hoarding so that you can secure things for yourself. There's a big difference here. One focuses on honoring self. The, first, the other focuses on honoring our Savior. Saving should be tied to the purposes of God. Saving and wealth must be connected to godly purposes. And when savings or acquiring wealth is disconnected from the purposes of God, then we have a problem. I want you to hear me clearly. Saving for your children, saving for a rainy day, uh, saving for a season of drought, uh, saving so that your life is able to take care of your bills is absolutely biblical. It is absolutely what you should be doing. But that is not what the text is addressing. In verse 4, they were saving by robbing people of money that they were owed. In verse 5, they were saving to live based upon, uh, based upon life being a big party. They were living based upon life uh, being something about their own pleasure versus pleasing God. So the cure to greed is not having a flippant attitude about money. The cure must be an intentional attitude concerning storing up riches in heaven. I want you to go with me to Matthew 6. It makes it a little bit more clear how we should view our resources. Matthew 6, verse number 19, very clearly says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The passage is very clear. Do not 
lay up for yourselves treasure. This is a very misunderstood passage because people say, well, how can I live in this world and lay up treasures in another world? The key phrase is yourself. Do not lay up for yourself. When you think about money, don't think about you. When you think about resources, don't be self-centered. Don't just have an earthly mindset. We've got to have a heavenly mindset. When you accumulate money, don't merely think about yourself. Think about whether or not the stuff that you are gathering has a purpose that honors and glorifies God. Uh, many of y'all know we, we built a home um, about a year and a half ago. And um, humble brag, it's a nice house. We did a great job with it. We designed it. We laid it out great. It's a phenomenal place to live. When we built the house, we saw the house as a ministry tool. We saw it as an opportunity for fellowship and community. In 2018, um, just a few of the events we had at our house. We had a, we had a wedding at our house, and the, the bride, was, she was glowing. She was beautiful, beautiful. We had a couple of, <laughs> we, we had a, a graduation party at our house, a couple of them. We had a baby dedication celebration. We had a cookout for athletes. We had a women's fellowship. We had a singles party. Uh, we had so many events at our house in 20, 2018 that Avita uh, looked at me and she said, you know you didn't build a house, you built a hotel and conference center, right? <laughs> so, so when we think about our house, we are excited about bringing people over and using it because we see that as an opportunity for ministry. Like, we didn't want to just build a nice earthly dwelling place. We wanted to build a place where people could be able to connect with each other and fellowship and hang out, where people could feel welcome and feel the love of Christ. And no matter what you have, whether it's a house or a car or money, our mindset should always be that I want to use it to honor and glorify the Lord. One of the issues is we struggle in our culture with the difference between a a ownership mindset versus a stewardship mindset. A steward is someone who has been entrusted with a gift. A steward is someone with a mindset that is totally different than someone who has an ownership mindset. When I have an ownership mindset, I feel like uh, I'm the one in charge. I have no accountability to God. I can operate like I want to, however I want to, because I own it. A stewardship mindset says I don't own anything, but I have been entrusted with everything. And I want to be careful to be faithful over what I have been entrusted with. A stewardship mindset says there will come a point in time where I have to give an account for everything that I have been entrusted with. So I want to live in such a way where I'm living wisely. Many of us are challenged by the parable of the talents. It's a passage that is, is one that has been preached over and over again. There was a, a, a man who was going on a trip and he made a decision to give away some talents or some gold to his servants. To one he gave five, to one he gave two, and the last one he just gave one. The one who got five invested it, he traded it, he got five more. The one with two invested it and traded it and got two more. The one with one didn't do anything with it, and when the master returned, he was upset with him because he did not use what he had been given, and he took it away from him and gave it to the one with five. The, the, The parable is essentially teaching us that God expects you to wisely and intentionally use the resources that he's been giving you. That means that everything in my life is a stewardship issue. My body is a stewardship issue. 
My money is a stewardship issue. The kids that God has given me is a stewardship issue. The job that I have is a stewardship issue. The house that I live in is a stewardship issue. The car I drive is a stewardship issue. All these things are a stewardship issue because I don't own any of those things. God has blessed me with those things, and God wants me to be faithful over the things that he's given me. I'll close with this. Um, there is a, there's a story, and Sean, you can go get the kids right now. Man, y'all can come on back up. There's a story told of a farmer with two prize-winning cows. The farmer was growing uh, in his faith, and he made a decision. He said that he was going to take um, the money from one of the cows, and he was going to give it to the Lord. He was going to live off one cow, and 100% of whatever the other cow made, he was going to give it away. The farmer came home one day after a couple of weeks, and his wife immediately realized that something was wrong. So she asked him, honey, did something bad happen today? And he responded, honey, the Lord's cow just died. He was saying that the Lord's cow died because he wasn't going to give up his money. A lot of us are so concerned about what we have that we miss the opportunity to honor the Lord with what he's given us. It's true for me when I'm in a bind. When money's tight, it's easy for me to see that the Lord's portion has gone away. When my time is tight, when I'm, when I'm busy and I don't want to get up early and I want to sleep in a little bit more, it's easy for the Lord's time to go away, right? When I'm, when I'm busy and I got a lot going on and I can, can make the phone call to, to do something for the job or I can get away and spend some time with the Lord, it's super easy for me to lean the other way and let God's timing die. So when we look at the text and we look at the passage, there are three just very easy points of application. Number one, I want you to know it's okay to have nice things just as long as those nice things don't have you. One of the best parts about this sermon is it's what's come up next and I have not said anything to you about how much you give to the church. That's between you and God. But I want you to know 100% that you will never find peace outside of God. The, the, the peace that you desire can only be found in one place, and that's God. It's not from the gifts. It's not from the car. It's not from the job. It's not even from the relationship. It's only from God. Secondly, it's okay, it's okay to acquire wealth, just not by illegal means and for illegitimate purposes. God wants you to save, and God wants you to be a good steward. God wants you to do all those things, but all of those things must be connected to the purposes of God. And lastly, it's okay to live with a stewardship mindset, to understand that everything in your life has been entrusted to you by God. And because God has entrusted all of those things, we need to be a good steward.